millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Today's episode is generously supported by Yumiko. 2019 has arrived, which means it's time for New Year's resolutions, new episodes of Conversations on Dance, but most importantly, brand new colors and options from our amazing sponsor, Yumiko. Yumiko is the dance world's leader in high-quality, customizable dancewear. And with their new colors and options that they just launched, there are even more ways to be uniquely you in the studio. Check out all of their new options on their website, yumiko.com. And while you are there, check out their new group discount, which offers you 10% off and free shipping on all orders of 10 pieces or more. Order now at yumiko.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by Marika Molnar, founder and president of Westside Dance Physical Therapy. Marika is often called the godmother of dance medicine, and with good reason. After helping to rehabilitate George Balanchine after a knee surgery, she became the first full-time physical therapist on staff at the New York City Ballet. Since then, she has influenced the lives of hundreds of dancers by increasing body awareness and providing daily manual care. Listen to how she got her start, what advice she has for other therapists treating dancers, and what she thinks dancers can do best to prevent injury and heal quickly. Marika, we're Hi. so happy to have you here. I'm so sorry we had some technical difficulties there at the beginning, but now we are all set and ready to chat. Great. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. We're here set up on a PT table, as we would expect to be <laughs> at your practice. Um, so let's just get started at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found your passion for physical therapy? Well, that's a very interesting long story, <laughs> because I didn't know I had one until all of a sudden it, it kind of appeared as a light bulb off to the right of my head <laughs> when I was teaching... Uh, I was teaching dance in a private school on the Upper East Side, and it was about my fourth year teaching, and I thought, you know, so I, something else I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So I got my master's in dance education at NYU. Yeah. After that, I thought, oh, that's probably what it was. I just didn't feel qualified enough, and, mm -hmm. and then that still wasn't it. And I am really not sure how... But someday in my fifth year of teaching, I got the, that light bulb feeling that literally went, why don't you go study PT school? Just like that. Just like that. It was literally a message from kind of off my right side of my head. So it must be my the right side of my brain connecting to the left side mm -hmm. of my body. Who knows? Anyway, oh so I basically thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, applied to Columbia mm -hmm. and got in. And the interesting thing about that is that most people who apply to Columbia have to go through a rigorous interview and 
um, have to send in all kinds of scores and marks on all different kinds of exams that they Mm -hmm. had to take to go to graduate school, of which I did not take any of those tests, but I got into the program. So when I sat there with the other 39 people that I was in school with, they were all lamenting how much they studied, Mm -hmm. how much time they spent, how much money they spent, all the hundreds of hours of volunteering in clinics. And I'm sitting there and I was like the last person. Uh Plus, I was much older than all of them as Uh well, because they all had come right out of college Mm -hmm. and I had already been teaching for five years. Uh And I just looked up and I said, well, all I did was apply and got in. <laughs> they so, were like, oh boy, this, yeah. this one. <laughs> so I just figured at the time that was that was probably what I was supposed to be doing since it was really so easy. Wow. You know? So I did that. I got my degree. And mm-hmm. during the time that I was teaching at the Nightingale Bamford School, I had a dance company and I had a gymnastics team. And a lot of the kids, the it was an all-girls school, and a lot of the young ladies at the school um, kind of counted on me to help guide them in a direction of what they should do when they graduated from school, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. I, I was really pretty involved with their progress and kind of their passions. And I, during that time, I got to meet Dr. Hamilton and George Balanchine Mm -hmm. because one of my gymnasts and another one of my dancers' parents were good friends with Barbara Horgan, who was Mr. B's, you know, personal right. secretary, yeah. left yeah. hand, left hand, right hand mm-hmm. at the time. She did pretty much everything. <laughs> and whenever they got injured, we were, you know, sent to Dr. Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So I had known Dr. Hamilton for in the from the mid-70s on. Okay. And I had met Mr. Balanchine during that time because we would always go backstage, say hello to him. He would give us his seats. We would sit in the front row, first ring, first row. So I I knew I knew them. Right, you know? right, right. It's one of those things. Well, I never knew at the time that I would end up being there at the New York City Ballet. But I, of course, I loved ballet, even though that's not what I chose to do. <laughs> um but then when I graduated from PT school, Dr. Hamilton had actually operated on a few dancers mm-hmm. and he needed somebody to help get them back in. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I, literally the day after I graduated from PT school, I started working with about three principal dancers mm-hmm. in the New York City Ballet. Wow. So it was kind of like <laughs> step right in and right. start working. And that was that whole connection with Dr. Hamilton. And that, that was the that whole happen. connection with Dr. Hamilton because he knew me. He knew I taught dance. He knew that prior to that, I had a physical education degree. Mm-hmm. And he knew that I was a physical therapist. So why shouldn't I be great working with the New York City Ballet? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And um, I actually took the challenge very seriously and just started doing it, mm-hmm. you know. Was that something that you had imagined would be a possibility when you went to school for physical therapy? Or were Not you thinking like you could be I doing had, physical therapy for anyone? It wasn't connected to dance. No, I had absolutely no, I had no forethought in that res- regard. It was just like, I should be doing physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And I guess I thought that at the time, I thought, you know, as a physical therapist, I could probably, you know, be more helpful to these young kids at the school and maybe even get a job at the school as the physical therapist mm-hmm. to help. Because, you know, kids in there, and I taught, literally, I taught K through 12. So I thought kindergarten through 12th wow. grade, mm-hmm. every, you know, all dance. So I did tap, jazz, ballet, modern, wow. gymnastics. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, kids get hurt, maybe I'll learn something to prevent right. some of these injuries that we were continuously having to go to Dr. Hamilton for. <laughs> um, because as they got older, you know, they became more talented and maybe more courageous and tried different things right. and subsequently, occasionally did get injured. Right, right. So when I found myself working with the New York City Ballet with Dr. Hamilton and then with Mr. Balanchine, that was the moment I realized that that's why I went to PT yeah. school. Right. Yeah. So you're talking about teaching dance. How did you come to dance originally in your life? When did you oh, start as a child? I danced my whole life. Literally, mm-hmm. my mother uh, was a choreographer and a dance teacher oh. of Hungarian folk dance. Wow. And we came to this country in 1956. Okay. We, um, 
left when the Russian tanks rolled into Budapest, and my parents, you know, were refugees, yeah. were immigrants. And um, so from the time I could re really, I think I, my earliest memory is about age three or four in Hungary, skipping around mm -hmm. with flowers in my hair, doing some little Hungarian ch chardash or something. <laughs> and then when we came to this country, my mother started a Hungarian folk dance ensemble. Wow. So I danced all the time with her company. Mm -hmm. And then Miss Kathy's dance studio and <laughs> on and on. And then I, you know, when I was in school, I was on the in the dance company. I did a lot of my own choreography as well as um, performed. So I was pretty much dancing my whole life. But I mean, I got through college teaching ballroom dancing. That's how I, I made some extra money. <laughs> Amazing. Because <laughs> I could do that. I knew all the ballroom dances because having been in a Hungarian folk dance mm -hmm. company, we used to open all of these, um, you know, Hungarian balls and uh, where the debutantes were presented, mm -hmm. you know, socially. That was still something that was done back then. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't know if it's still done today, but <laughs> so I knew all the ballroom dances. Mm -hmm. So that was a good way to make money. That's so cool. I love that. <laughs> so when you did first start working uh, with some New York City ballet dancers, you said you were working with three principals. How did it branch out from there? How did it become something that they started to consider very seriously? And um, well, I, it it was actually quite easy. Mr. B also had knee surgery, so I had to be his physical therapist. <laughs> and he really did not like physical therapy. He didn't like doing exercises. So we made, we literally had a compromise. He would do his exercises of bending and straightening his knees as long as I would do the waltz with him. So I would go to his apartment and we would waltz for a certain amount of time where I would count how many times his knee bent and straight amazing <laughs> oh my god I mean, after so a while it, it just got to be more fun than anything sure. because he literally taught me how to waltz backwards mm. sideways i mean he was and then you know he got to move his knee many times so he recovered pretty rapidly that is such an amazing story that <laughs> balancing recovers and from physical therapy with choreography yes that's incredible that's pretty much exactly as it happened, because wow. he did not want to, you know, your typical routine at the time, I'm going back to, you know, late 70s, early 80s, mm -hmm. was, you know, you did straight leg raising, you did, you know, flexion, extension of mm -hmm. the knee to get the mobility back after surgery. And mm -hmm. I would do a little hands-on, mm -hmm. moving the patella around and things like that. But he really preferred weight-bearing, which is mm -hmm. fine, because actually weight-bearing exercise is even better, mm -hmm. right. you know. And it, and also it was fun. I mean, I was I was mortified myself because I thought, oh my god, this is so scary. <laughs> dancing with George Rollins, you know, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> but um, it was kind of cool. I mean, not very many people can say that. Yeah. So no, it's really true. Cool. And then he also used to make me eat borscht, which could be part of the recovery. Mm. You know, the the borscht is the red cabbage, and the mm. soup was very healthy for him. <laughs> So then how did it come about that in 1980, you became the first physical therapist to be hired as an on-site? You know, I think because a lot of dancers had injuries that required surgery, mm -hmm. um, I think he probably spoke with Dr. Hamilton at length about this, mm -hmm. and they decided maybe it would be helpful to prevent some of these injuries if somebody were there on-site. Mm -hmm to watch the dancers and take care of some of the more minor issues mm -hmm. right. so that they don't become major issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course I was, I was completely in awe and I was so honored. So mm -hmm. there I was. It's kind of crazy to think in retrospect that the company had been in existence for over 30 years at that point and had, had no one permanently on their staff helping. I mean, how did they manage with no... Well, you know, you guys are very young and you don't you don't know this, but the culture of dance at the time was really of denial. Mm -hmm. You you were never injured. Dancers <laughs> we still know about we still, yeah. <laughs> Dancers were not injured. Uh -huh. Okay. Dancers did not have injuries. They didn't have to deal with their bodies. They basically rolled out of bed onto the stage and performed. <laughs> so that's kind of the Right. 
front story, mm-hmm. but the background is, you know, they went to people who could help them. Mm. On their own. On their own. And in a lot of cases, it was basically take some, take some meds to mm-hmm. get you not to feel the pain or get massage mm-hmm. or, you know, do the Russian baths, do the hot, cold, hot, cold. But right. there was nothing happening in any, really in any place in the United States that was on-site care for right. the professional dance. Was New York City Ballet like the first one, I would imagine? It actually yeah. was, mm-hmm. yeah. as far as I know. However, in Europe, it was a different story because when I went over, I went over to London in 82 or 83 to spend some time at the Royal Ballet because they had physical therapy for years and years. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they had a very good program there. So I went over and spent some time and had a wonderful opportunity to watch Joan Law's coach. Mm-hmm. And if you ever get a chance to see any of her books, they're beautiful. They're technique books. Oh, interesting. Um, and I watched the coaching of getting an injured dancer back on stage mm-hmm. and the physical therapy, of course, but also that that interim period where you're kind of finished with your physical therapy, but you're not really ready to be in company class right. doing everything at the pace of a company class. Right. That so I got okay. to watch that, how they transition their dancers, mm-hmm. which is something we really still don't do here in the United States mm-hmm. so well. Um, but we try and do it within the within the auspices of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it would be great if there were... Uh, this opportunity to do class. Of course, everything is based on time and space, mm-hmm. and dancer availability and availability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. But kind of, I was very fortunate because once I once I got there, then I started really working with the dancers one to one, and I don't know, it just kind of evolved. It, the yeah. first ten or fifteen years, I have to say, were really hard because. Nobody really wanted to acknowledge that dancing hurts people, <laughs> you know. And how did you overcome that? Yeah. Well, time passed uh-huh. and people changed. They realized and that you were how all valuable of a sudden you were. everybody realized the necessity mm-hmm. of having somebody on site to help the dancers. I mean, if you look around the country. San Francisco, you know, Helgi, Helgi was still in the company when I started working mm-hmm. there. Right. Peter was still a dancer in the mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. Eve Anderson was still a dancer. Peter Bowl. So all these people were in the company as dancers and I treated them. Right. Who then went on to have companies. So they understand. So they right. understood the necessity. Right. So as soon as their companies, as soon as they became heads of companies, they pretty much automatically had some type of physical therapy program. Right. Amazing. So that was really a, a wonderful thing to see. Yeah. I'm this might skip around a little bit, but I'm curious how often companies, um, so you're talking about the directors being familiar with this program. How often do you hear from companies that people want to come here, work with you, and you kind of like help lead their um, physical therapy programs? Oh, certainly I've certainly done that many times mm-hmm. in the past. I'd say Probably in the last five or ten years, more and more dance medicine has become a better known name. Mm-hmm. And um, since 1990, the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science has been really doing a lot of work mm-hmm. to promote the whole idea of dance mm-hmm. medicine. Right. Um, so I'd say probably over the years, I've had quite a lot of physical therapists come through mm-hmm. and learn and learn learn not just you know not just the skills of physical therapy applied to dancers but learning to appreciate dancers mm-hmm. and what their needs are mm-hmm. not just when they're in the clinic doing rehab right what do they have to really do when they go back what does it really mean to go back to class because you know often you hear <laughs> dancers say, you know, my doctor said I could go back to class. I said, well, does he know what class is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the meaning? I mean, so we, you know, we really spend a lot of time educating mm-hmm. the physical therapist and the doctors who work with dancers who don't have dance backgrounds. Right. Mm-hmm. What does it really mean? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's, does it, you know, if you haven't actually observed class, right. rehearsal or performance, how do you know what it is? Mm-hmm. How do you know how many jumps a dancer does in class? How many times they releve? Mm-hmm. How many times they pirouette? How many times 
anything mm -hmm. if you haven't observed it. So one of my basic bottom line things is don't even think about it until you've watched the, the class. Right. Right. Until you've been in class enough times to understand what they do and what the difference is between bar and center mm -hmm. and variation. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just ballet. Right. So there's a whole other world of other types of dances right. mm -hmm. that if you're going to treat Broadway dancers or modern dancers or hip-hop dancers mm -hmm. or Cirque du Soleil, you have to know what it. What, what do they have like. to get back to. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. How essential do you think it is to have a background in dance before you go into dance medicine? Or can you – do you have – have you had experience with people who ha knew nothing and Absolutely then kind of came up? Absolutely, have had experience with people, and it's perfectly fine as long mm -hmm. as you are the kind of person that has curiosity mm -hmm. and wants to learn. Because yeah. just because you can't do it or experience it in your body, doesn't mean you can't help someone else get there. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know myself for a fact. When I was twelve years old, and they put point shoes on me, I knew ballet was not for me. <laughs> Because it was so painful. Right. But that doesn't mean I can't appreciate, obviously. Uh, <laughs> right, I mean, right. I know how to help. I know how to fit a point show. I know how mm -hmm. to help dancers get back on point, et cetera. But that's because I was curious about it and I wanted to learn about right. it. Right. Make sure mm -hmm. that I had a lot of different ways and modalities to get to the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you're, you know, you try not to be stuck in your own rut mm -hmm. about always going at it in one direction because somebody else's needs may be different, even right. though the end goal is the same. Right, right, right. Interesting. So um, we're talking about physical therapists coming and working with you, but what about dancers that come? Um, we've come up from Miami to see you before. Um, what's maybe the furthest distance that a dancer has come to? Just to see you. Just to oh, see you. <laughs> well. Oh, my gosh. Russia, Japan. I don't know. I mean... In the they come past, from all over. yeah, they have come from all over. That's really amazing. I've had people come. Yeah. Well, you know, initially, uh, let's say the first ten or fifteen years that I was doing it, people were being sent to me because mm -hmm. I was the one, because I was the, the only, only one. one. <laughs> right. Yeah. It wasn't because I was so great. It was because I was the one working with a professional company, and mm -hmm. so professional dancers, when they came through, mm -hmm. would seek me out. Right. You know, so. So amazing. You know, it's always fun. And honestly, the other thing that I ha I usually say is you have to not only be curious, but you have to really have a passion for follow through. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't just want to see you and figure it out. Right. I want to figure it out, make sure you know what to do, and then see you on stage. Right, right. Aww. Because that's yeah. the end. Because right. yeah. why just do the beginning? Yeah. You know, that you got to do the whole thing. That must feel so great for you to see dancers that you've worked through oh, an injury with. and It's the best thing. Aww. How ha has your personal um, approach changed through the years? Since you really, you know, you started from scratch. There was no right. community to learn from. You had to, to figure it out for yourself. Like, so how, how do you treat people differently than you did in, say, 1980? Um, I probably don't treat them much differently. Really? Really? <laughs> Interesting. Because I I thought about this quite a lot myself. I mean, obviously, I've taken um, tons and tons of continuing education courses that I thought would be appropriate, like a lot of manual therapy courses to learn about body mechanics and joint mechanics. I've done visceral work. I've done craniosacral work. I've done – I'm a licensed acupuncturist. Mm. Um I don't even know. I've done so many courses. I've done trainings in, you know, many, many things. And what I find, actually, the bottom line is, for me, is when I meet the person mm -hmm. and we have some kind of a, some kind of an interaction, that person tells me what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And then as long as we continue the interaction and make sure that the truth comes out from the person, mm -hmm. then it doesn't really matter what I do mm. because we're getting to acknowledge the fact there is an injury, there's a way to make it go away, and there's a way to keep dancing. Mm -hmm. And if we can get around that, whatever treatment I use, obviously appropriately, is going to work and help. Yeah. So whether I choose the acupuncture model, the biomechanical model, 
or the pain relief model, Mm -hmm. let's say those are three good ones to Mm -hmm. pick from, it's all going to work because they're all getting to the same thing because there's an open line of communication with me and the dancer, the back and forth that lets the dancer know that I'm there with them, but that they also have a responsibility to be there with themselves and not to give that away to a physical therapist or a doctor or a coach that they have to have that internal responsibility of healing as well. Because it's really all about healing. You know, Uh you have that... The energies of the of the healing, whether it's microcurrent, macrocurrent, hands on, it's all happening. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know. um, it's so funny how dancers know their body so well, right? Even like know the anatomy sometimes and can really communicate these yes. things to you. So I'm sure that's helpful in a lot of instances. But is it also sometimes like dancers trying to be their own doctors, and you're kind of like, let's see no, what the real I issue is? <laughs> I love it because I'm always. I'm always teaching dancers the words and the terminology so that when they go to their doctors, mm-hmm. they can use that terminology. Right. Yeah. Because then it shows the physicians and the other physical therapists that de- these dancers really know what mm-hmm. they're, you know, mm-hmm. they they know their body parts. They mm-hmm. know what's happening. They can describe what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to saying to the doctor something like, oh, when I releve and I pirouette, blah, blah, blah. Right. They'll say, you know what? When I plan out flex my ankle, mm-hmm. my FHL pinches in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, at least right away, that physician or other physical therapist knows what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, That's so true. And then gets the visual of you going up on point and pirouetting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. So sometimes I'm I'm always, I mean, of course, I I, <laughs> I have an inner inner smile that says, yes. Oh, <laughs> it's because true. they know. Yeah. You guys know. It's true. We. I always feel that way that I've learned so much from physical therapy. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And you that. should. I mean, yeah. you spend enough time doing it. It's right? true. <laughs> it's I mean, true. really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely true. Um. So you talked about how you have to know the needs of the dancer if it's going to be hip hop or Broadway or what mm-hmm. what not. Um. Even within just the New York City Ballet, things have changed so much since 1980. At that point, the repertoire was primarily Balanchine and Robbins, mm-hmm. but the, the demands being made on the dancers now are much broader. The rep is, is a lot broader. Yeah. So um, how have you altered that process with them to, to, to ensure that they can do these kind of, you know, crazier, more extreme things that are now required of them? Well, I haven't altered the process at all because they still take ballet class. <laughs> <laughs> and the one one or two times where um, we've had different um, choreographic needs, mm-hmm. um, we uh, we have brought in teachers to teach class in the specific mm. technique, right. which mm-hmm. is really what I think has to happen a little bit more. Right. Totally. Um, you know, it's one thing. It's one thing if you're doing ball if a ballet choreographer is choreographing ballet and you've taken a ballet class, but if a choreographer who really doesn't know ballet is choreographing ballet, mm-hmm. that's a whole different story. Yeah, totally. Because they don't really understand as well what movements are possible and which are just and what movements are just really beyond mm-hmm. and right. should really not be done. Right, right, right. You know, so, um, but it's hard to make that decision between the choreographer's artistic intent Mm -hmm. and uh, what could be really dangerous Mm -hmm. until you see what they're doing. Right. And the dancers are just going to do it anyway. And that's that's the truth. (laughs) The dancers will do whatever they're asked. Whatever they're asked. And I have to say only, it, it, it hasn't been that bad at all i mean Mm -hmm. i can only remember really one time when i ran in and i you know spoke to the artistic (laughs) director and said please you have to see what's happening this is really dangerous and i just can't allow it Mm -hmm. and that all really only happened once so i have to say that for the most part the choreographers are cognizant of what it is they're asking for to some extent but again, going back to a dancer's responsibility to speak up, mm-hmm. you know, and you're too young to know, but dancers didn't used to speak up, right? Okay, mm-hmm. back in the you know back in the days, you know, the at least my first twenty years or so, dancers didn't tell choreographers 
that maybe they shouldn't be doing this. Right. You know, and they wouldn't even tell people they were injured. No, so. exactly. <laughs> the last that. thing they would do yeah. would be to say anything mm-hmm. like right. that. Yeah. So do you feel like because dancers have this better body awareness now, they have a better understanding of their bodies, they have the ability to speak up. Do you feel that that's making a positive impact on companies and dancers' health? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. And also, you know, when you think about it, we have have quote-unquote ballet companies, but our ballet companies are all doing contemporary works. Mm -hmm. And they're doing pieces without putting point shoes on, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're doing things without tutus. And sometimes even costumes will be dangerous. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that many times, as I'm sure you have too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be put in a costume that absolutely does not move with you. Yeah. And forces your body into another position. Yeah. And there you are. What are you going to do? Back spasm. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Happens <laughs> when you have uh, those that actually, corsets on. It was very triggering because that yeah. reminded me of a time when I was in something that did not fit me and really put my back out. Yeah, but every nut, exactly. yeah, <laughs> every nutcracker with all the you know bending and no movement in the costumes is hard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a really important question. Okay, <laughs> so um, in the Balanchine training. A lot of times he would emphasize not putting your heels down all the way in jumping. There's always like a lot of controversy between more classically trained dancers or different styles Mm -hmm. about putting your heels on the floor. Um, From your perspective, from a health perspective, what do you feel about this conversation? Well, I think it's an interesting conversation because it seems kind of obvious that if you're moving fast, you can't put your heels down. Mm -hmm. If you're landing and you're moving slow, put your heels down. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's not really that people make a very big deal about this. But for example, if you're jumping, as you suggested, Mm -hmm. and you land and push right off, Mm -hmm. then you timing wise, you you have to stay with the music, Mm -hmm. right? You don't have time to land on your heel and then push off again. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily, it's really not as necessary as if you're doing plie into a releve. Right, right, right. Back into a plie. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you should put your heel down. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. keep your heel off Mm -hmm. when you go into your demi-plie. Right. Mm -hmm. And then releve. You should put your heel down Mm -hmm. because you want to give that Achilles its nice range of motion. Right. So I think it's really a timing issue. It's more, more that than More really, that, yeah, um, I, I, I do. So it's not, you don't feel like it's dangerous though to do that, obviously. Because no. some, some people will say like, that'll hurt your Achilles, right? Isn't are are there things that are an aesthetic issue that you wish ballet could pull back a little bit from that cause sure, the majority I think, of injuries? I think the aesthetic, one aesthetic issue that, I mean, we all love to see it, the hyperextended knees. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you really go beyond those five degrees of hyperextension, you're becoming very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that the knee joint is a very dangerous joint mm-hmm. to make unstable. Right. Interesting. So that for me, I think people should definitely stop hyperextending their knees Pull so up. much. <laughs> yeah. Pull up out of that hyperextension. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's one thing if if it's your gesture leg. Mm-hmm. And you're extending, and you have hyperextension and pointing, and, and it's not your weight bearing mm-hmm. leg. Mm-hmm. But then, as you st- you know, and as you all know, once you have hyperextended knees, and you kind of are waiting around in the back for your turn or whatever, mm-hmm. you, just- you end up pushing further back yeah. into mm-hmm. it because Sitting it feels it. more comfortable. comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're not there, and you're being told by me to just straighten your knees and not hyperextend, you feel like your knees are bent. Mm-hmm. Totally. I have that problem. Right yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so, and that, the only way, real way to correct that is to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. And just practice. And just practice yeah. finding that posture that's only five degrees mm-hmm. and not 15 degrees. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that starts from just like normal life, like you're saying, yeah. like waiting backstage or... You're standing yeah. around no, waiting for, for the first bus. position. Yes. I mean, it mm-hmm. drives me crazy. How many kids do we see that when we, if we go teach other places and they just stand in first position with their heels completely apart and their knees touching? Together, yeah. The first and second position simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Oh Dr. Hamilton used to talk about that mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a really bad habit and it, it not only does it 
cause your knees to become unstable, but it also kind of wrecks your whole ability to know where you are in space Mm -hmm. because those little mechanoreceptors in your knees send information Hmm. to -hmm. your brain and your brain then sends information back down. And so you, you kind of get lost you don't know where you are in your pirouettes. I was just going to say, I bet for yeah. pirouettes, that makes that's like an extra it's, tricky It makes factor. it so much harder. makes it so much harder. Huh. Yeah. And if you think about it, the way the body's designed, if your knee is being pushed back, mm-hmm. usually your hip is pushed forward. Right. So now you you're pushing the front of your hips into those ligaments and the top of the joint causing irritation, mm-hmm. possible labral tears. And then if you keep going up the chain, your upper body is back mm-hmm. right. and your front ribs are flare, flare, flaring <laughs> out. They're uh, like, woo! You know? So yeah. it's a, so a it's really a whole, not great chain. It's not a great there. chain. <laughs> so, and so what's happening at the feet? Your plantar flexion or your point has to become even greater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as far back as your knee goes, you have to have that much more point. Mm-hmm. So you're like an S shape all the way yeah. up, yeah. trying to counterbalance But yourself. aesthetically, as we be- began this conversation, it looks those of us that <laughs> love ballet, we love that look, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But it's really not really not a good place to be. I always tell my students that too, who have a lot of hyperextension that, and from my experience too, even though I should have done better about it when I was dancing, but when you feel like you just feel like your knee is bent and it just feels so wrong, like you're saying. So it's just like getting that, you have to getting memorize used to that the new place. feeling. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's like anything though. I mean, so many, yeah. I think of when I've had to reassess, mm-hmm. um, a certain element of my dancing because it maybe contributed to an injury, but mm-hmm. I'll like the therapist will look at you and go like, this is normal. This is right. And maybe it's like the way you square your hips or mm-hmm. don't or what, mm-hmm. whatever. And you, you just have to memorize the new feeling of what is actually correct because your body is so used to the other thing. Right. Exactly. But, and, or you can use simple little aids like crisscross tape behind your knee mm. so that mm. if you do start to push back too much you feel it, it pulls on your skin uh, <laughs> amazing that's so good so how do you do, now i'm gonna ask you because i'm gonna do this for myself <laughs> so how do you do it you start it like in the correct position and make sure that that tape is nice and tight in the back like kinesio tape exactly mm-hmm. kinesio tape is wonderful for mm-hmm. that you just make an x marks mm-hmm. the spot and that's the back of your knee where mm-hmm. your where that crease is yeah and then you do it with your knee in st- where when your knee is straight, mm-hmm. zero actual straight. straight. Yeah, yeah. Because then, as you start to push back, you'll feel it pull. So it's like that. It's like a, yeah, under. exactly. Yeah, it's That's just cool. a little aid to clue you in. I do the same thing often with the in the front to try and help people keep their ribs down. Mm-hmm. I just make an X in the front, uh-huh. so that if they lift their ribs up mm-hmm. too much they feel the pull and then it, they'll bring it down mm-hmm. amazing we could do little easy little it's just for feedback yeah. yeah i mean they don't wear it forever it's just sure, for sure. you know maybe a little bit of time in mm-hmm. class just to give them that feedback yeah very cool um is there something that you feel like you wish um so we talk a lot about how we're talking about here, how we learned so much from physical therapy. And like for us, that started during our careers when we were able to have access to this. Is there something that you wish that schools would do to help kids, A, prevent injuries and B, kind of like learn more about their bodies and mm-hmm. any sort of program like that? Well, I know that we're doing we're doing quite a bit at SAB where we give lectures to the young students and we even invite the parents in. Very cool. Um, to the younger students. And we give lectures specifically to the the more advanced students mm-hmm. about things that we've noticed are more common mm-hmm. injury-wise. And for example, the most common thing would be an ankle sprain. Well, how can you prevent your ankle sprain? Mm-hmm. How can you prevent your ankle sprain, Michael? Therabands. Sure. Okay. I, I, never, <laughs> I never sprained my ankle. <laughs> don't say that now, knock on wood. Okay, so here's something I'm going to tell you that you don't know. One of the best ways to prevent your ankle sprain is to be able to flex your pinky straight up. Oh, man. By itself. Yeah. Because the pinky, that muscle, will help that whole lateral side of your foot stay up. Whereas most people, if they can't lift their pinky, their pinky either goes out to the side or goes down. So when you land, if that 
proprioceptive information isn't there, it'll allow that fifth metatarsal Uh, to roll over. Whereas if you can use it and get the pinky, fourth, and third tendons into that little extensor digitorum brevis belly on the Mm -hmm. lateral side of your foot Mm -hmm. to function well, Mm -hmm. you will help prevent a lot of rollovers. Those little silly rollovers that yeah, yeah, yeah. add up over the years. Totally. Wow. So how do you make that happen? That so you work teach on that exercise where you're sitting with your legs mm-hmm. flat on the floor mm-hmm. and you think of playing the piano. You lift your pinky, four, three, two, one, put it down. So you're flexing pinky mm-hmm. first as much as possible mm-hmm. and you do it as an exercise. And a lot of people can't do this. So don't feel yeah. bad about this. <laughs> this is because when did you ever do it? Never. And what do you always do with your pinky and your toes? You're always pointing them down. Yeah. You're yeah. always plantar flexing them. Right. So you need to counter this by doing some dorsiflexion because the tendons of your toes, the small ones, mm-hmm. help to protect the lateral side of your foot. But the long tendons that cross the front of your ankle help to protect your talus from going too far forward when you're, if you're rolling over from mm-hmm. point position. So actually doing that exercise with your toes in the opposite direction will help a lot with preventing ankle sprains. So do you suggest doing that just before class or periodically throughout would, the day? I would do it periodically. Yeah throughout the day several times. And then also the other thing would be for ankle sprains would be to do single leg releves in parallel. Mm -hmm. Slow, fast, medium, to different heights of your heel on and off. And even to start maybe with the heel lower than your forefoot Mm -hmm. so that you spend about uh, that would take like, you know, a good minute a right. day on each foot, right. strengthening mm-hmm. your your ankle and the tendons that cross on either side of your ankle. Right. Amazing. Yeah, that's a good one. So good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I want to try all of these yeah. things, all of these <laughs> tips. It's going to be great. We don't need them anymore, but, but I'm going to. Yes, you do. You always <laughs> need them. Because, look, one day you're going to see the ice cream truck across the street. And want to get that ice cream, you're going to step off the curb. And bam. And your pinky's mm-hmm. going to go, wait a second, I'm going to protect us. <laughs> Lift up and you won't sprain your ankle. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> no, actually, amazing. that is funny because I lied. I did sprain my ankle last year after having retired. I, I, was, I was what were you jogging doing? to the subway <laughs> and I, I fell in a pothole. And it went. Poof. And it went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was scary. I was like, now I know what other people feel like. <laughs> I, it's never happened to me. It's really scary. Um, um, how important is it for dancers to train in that parallel position like you were just talking about? It's, it's very important. Yeah. Why is that? Training in parallel position is the is the alignment of the body's muscles, tendons, joints. Mm-hmm. So if you can strengthen everything in, in the alignment that it's meant to be in, mm-hmm. in the congruency of the joints, then they'll be there for you when you do turn out or turn in mm-hmm. or single leg. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think it's very important. Okay. And that's why you see, in at least presently, a lot of people are doing cross training in the gyms mm-hmm. and and with weights in the parallel position. Mm-hmm. And yes, you do need to you know strengthen your turnout muscles, etc. But you need to first have the foundation to have everything know what it's supposed to do. Right. 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 You know? Awesome. Do you have any more questions? I feel like I think we could do the lightning. We have round a lightning now. round for you. So we oh. we do. It's just a, a a quick little round where we ask something with a, a short answer. You okay. know, first thing that you think of. So, what's the number one thing that a dancer should do to prevent injury, like on a daily basis? What's the oh in, sleep 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 well sleep? You know, eight to ten hours. So, so that makes that, me feel good about. I was re- religious about that. Yeah. You know, sleep is key. Yeah. I'd be like, good night at 9.30. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Ice or heat? Uh, depends. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to lower your pain? Because if you're trying to lower pain, then ice mm-hmm. is probably working mm-hmm. for you better than mm-hmm. heat. But if if you want better blood circulation, you should really alternate hot and cold. Mm-hmm. And if you want muscles to relax, then you do heat. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. If you want, if you have a, an acutely swollen joint, you can put ice and compression on it for mm-hmm. 10 minutes mm-hmm. to, to 
you know, not to let it heat up so much, but follow that by alternating hot and cold. Mm. But cold is definitely good for pain. Mm. Uh, What's the best thing a dancer can do after a long day of rehearsal or performance um, to promote muscle recovery? The best thing they can do would be to lie down on a parasitter and breathe so that they get better oxygenated. Mm -hmm. They get their parasympathetic nervous system to start kicking in and reducing the stress from the day. Mm -hmm. Because when you're, whether you're physically working out or mentally working out, learning something that increases your stress level. So some of your hormones, your stress hormones like cortisol are very increased. Mm -hmm. And really you need to calm that down so that you can get a good night's sleep. Mm Can you tell us actually a little bit about your parasitter? We sure, meant to ask sure. You. Yeah. Um, I was, I actually, I actually developed it because number one, I can't stand roll those rollers <laughs> that people are killing themselves rolling out muscles. The foam rollers. The foam rollers. Really? I think that's really pretty silly. Um, but basically, I I devised it so that there was a way for the dancer to feel their back, especially mm-hmm. their ribs, mm-hmm. and to breathe. Because most dancers, as you know, don't breathe very deeply, Mm -hmm. and they breathe very much to the front. Mm -hmm. So their ribs are always popping forward, Mm -hmm. and then their back muscles get very tight Mm -hmm. and short and are always under tension. Mm -hmm. So by lying on the paracetter, which is a double convex curve with a nice channel in the middle, they can actually feel where where are these back ribs that mm-hmm. I never feel right mm-hmm. they can feel it they can inhale deeply and allow those ribs to expand at the same time that those spinous processes down the middle of your back mm-hmm. are just floating in a space mm-hmm. they're not being pushed on the mm-hmm. way you would if you were lying on one of those six inch long foam rollers right. Right, right. and by allowing those segments to relax you're encouraging the parasympathetic nervous system to start its work and and allow you to rest and relax and do all the nice things that you're supposed to do for your body because you do have to recover from a long day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if our listeners would like to get one of those, where do they Oh, well get they one? can, you know what, they can go to Physical Mind Institute. Okay. Um uh here in New York, they sell them. Mm-hmm. Um and they can even go online and look it up because there's quite a lot of videos on how to use it. Mm-hmm. They can go, um, physical mind is one word, physical Mm -hmm. mind institute. They can also go and watch um, the videos and then usually it gets sent. I mean, we sell them here at my office Mm -hmm. too, but I usually only have four or five at any one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but they're really great and everybody in, you know, most everybody in our company actually has their own at this point because... It's so great to lie down on it Mm -hmm. and just to start breathing. And it's very relaxing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was actually just thinking about the other day. I was like, oh, I miss that parasitter we used to have in the, we had one at Miami City Valley. We had a few. Yeah. I love it. They're really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can, you can recover on it, but you could also do your stabilization exercises while you're lying on Mm it. And that's nice because your back, your spinous process isn't being pushed into the floor. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's being supported. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a really, really nice thing. And, you know, we don't really, one of the things that I would also love for companies to recognize is that dancers need recovery time. Mm-hmm. So if you, if your last show ends at 10.30 p.m. or 11 p.m., mm-hmm. class should not start at 10.30 in the morning because you haven't even had 12 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, if if at po- you know possibly looking ahead a little bit and figuring out, okay, maybe we'll start class at eleven thirty mm-hmm. and give everybody at least twelve hours. Right, right. You know, and and you know yourselves when you finish dancing, you don't go home and go to sleep. Oh, no. yeah. you're so revved yeah, up, yeah. Yeah. so it takes totally. like at least two or three hours mm-hmm. before like, you can down. relax. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Right, Absolutely. and then you have to wake up, and so there's your sleep. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. your lack of sleep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not even yeah. always our fault that we can't sleep. No, 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 <laughs> no. I know. Believe me. <laughs> All right, we're we're back to our lightning round. Yeah. Sorry, I'm glad we got <laughs> to talk about the parasitter though. Um, there's only two more left. Uh, most important element of healing from an injury. Most important element of healing. Maybe from like an what injury? you can do for yourself. Okay, just believe that it's possible. <laughs> 
It's such a big and, and important It's so thing. important and not to have fear mm-hmm. because fear is what holds you back the most. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, in my experience, if you can overcome the fear of walking or going up and down stairs or doing a releve and know that you're doing the best you can and you're getting the right help, do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that pain, let pain be your guide because sometimes pain isn't giving you the right information. Right. You don't always, you can't always have a 100% pain-free return. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say really to believe that it's possible and to do everything you're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. you know, along with sleep. <laughs> sleep, sleep, sleep. So if you could share one piece of knowledge with every dancer in the world, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. One piece of knowledge. Just keep doing it. <laughs> Because <laughs> dancing is the joy of life, mm-hmm. you know. It is, and be you know, be honest and true to yourself. Yeah, that was beautiful. What a great note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. My pleasure. So got My pleasure. That. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you have not already, we invite you to subscribe to Conversations on Dance Now wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing, you will get a notification every Monday when a new episode goes live. This way, you won't miss a moment of the COD action. And if you like what you heard today, we invite you to rate us and review us on iTunes. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.